sometimes we do. But I think for all of God's grace and guidance over the last 40 years, I, I think it's appropriate for, to praise God with a round of applause for all that he's done here. It's, uh, it's so cool to be able to listen to some of these members who've been here um, in the early 80s, the late 70s even, and to, to listen about their passion at the beginning for having a church here in Lakeville that they, could be, they would be assured of, that would be all about the gospel. Not, not, nothing added to it, but that Jesus Christ would be at the center of everything that they did. Now, one of the things I want you to know is that um, all of these videos, we're going to put them online this week, so you'll be able to see um, that video the way that it was supposed to be played and things. So you'll be able to see them online this week. But I will tell you that um, if Danny, um, if you ever talk to Danny and he tries to convince you that the first time I watched that video um, that I was tearing up, up emotionally. Um, I just want you to know that I had allergies that day, and uh, it's, it kind of, when I watch videos, it gets worse, and water comes into my eyes. So don't let them, don't let them convince you of that. Um, I, I think, honestly, this whole year has been a little more emotional than what I thought it would be, being a 40th anniversary, and that I've really only been here about 13 of them. But I, I think the reason is that, you know, I've had a chance to just really look back, uh, even before the time that I was here, and I've read through uh, a whole bunch of archival stuff that we have in a filing cabinet, and um, one of the documents that I, I really looked closely at the last couple of weeks was their proposal by a group of Christians here in Lakeville to start a church in Lakeville. It was a proposal to um, our church body that there should be a church here. And it was interesting the things that they used so as to convince the synod that it's good to have a church here. It's kind of like a, a walk through time. Um, one of the things they said is that Lakeville is going to probably continue to grow because of the completion of I-35E to St. Paul. Can you imagine not having I-35E, at least not a four-laner? I mean, goodness. Um, they said that it probably will be a good place because of the upcoming grand opening of the Minnesota Zoo in 1978, and that it was just weird to read this, like the zoo wasn't here yet, you know? Um, uh, or that there was going to be a, a mall being built that would be the largest in the entire upper Midwest, and not Mall of America. It was Burnsville Center, <laughs> 35 and 42, and that, that mall was going to be going in there. Just amazing. And, and, and then they wrote about how Lakeville has already experienced robust growth, that according to the 1970 census, the population now now stands at 5,000 people. It's like, I mean, that's just crazy, isn't it? And then to, to think about um, what they wrote at the very end of this. So all this was sort of lead up to their conclusion. And I'm just going to read this part verbatim. This report has intentionally been optimistic in its approach. The portrait we've painted for you was not done while wearing rose-colored glasses. As the information was gathered and compiled for this report, there's only one conclusion that we could reach. We must begin to work with the gospel in the Lakeville area. The sooner, the better. Lakeville offers to us an outstanding opportunity. In reading another report on Lakeville, written in 1972, it was just as optimistic. We can only wonder why we've delayed this long. The field's ripe. Let's not lose the harvest while we sit idle. Let's not miss this opportunity that the Lord is giving to us 
in Lakeville, Minnesota. And then over the last 40 years, the people, because the church is not a building, it's not a name, the people are the church. The people of Bethlehem have had an opportunity to baptize hundreds of people, to confirm hundreds of people, some of them your children, some of them your grandchildren. Thousands of people have either come to faith at Bethlehem or been strengthened in their faith over those last 40 years, which is just amazing and awesome. We've worshipped as a group, as a congregation, at the very beginning in a home, and then in the Lakeville School Administration building that is no longer here, no longer exists, and then in a little uh, 2,200-square-foot building that sat on this property. Some of you might remember that one. Let me put 2,200 square feet in perspective. So the entire building, including kitchen, classrooms, offices, um, bathrooms, and sanctuary, would fit into this room, because this is 2,500 square feet. That's how small that building was. To McGuire Junior High for 10 months while we built this, to now this, and not because of us, but because of God working through the gospel, um, hopefully within the next three years in a new location, we'll be worshiping as well. It's crazy to think of all the things that have happened in the last 40 years, And it's good for us to take a day like this. But I I have a question for you. What are we celebrating today? 40 years, yeah. What are we really celebrating today? Where should our hearts be? Because there's plenty of celebrations that you've attended or that you know of where people were all over the board and they all looked happy, but they were thinking about different things. So as an example, take Thanksgiving, okay? Like, Thanksgiving, good thing you have a guy who studied background of words. Okay, so Thanksgiving comes from the ancient language called English, and it's two words put together, which is thanks and giving, okay? And if you were to move them around, so it's give thanks, that's in essence what it means. It's a day to give thanks. But here's the thing. Many Americans, and I might even say most Americans, use Thanksgiving as a day to figure out all the things that they're going to need the next day during all the sales, or nowadays people spend all of Thanksgiving standing in line, which doesn't in and of itself make you a bad person if you've done that. But in essence, I feel, I believe, that we've totally missed the boat with Thanksgiving. It's all about getting stuff now. Wow. Happy people, sometimes, wrong point. Or how about Christmas? Same thing happens. If you don't believe me, all I need to do is show you a picture. Look at this. This is America's Christmas, okay? You just throw anything that glows onto your yard, and that's Christmas. Whether it be, I don't, what, a jack-o'-lantern at Christmas? I don't know, the Simpsons, Elmo, and this guy. I don't, I don't need Santa, but I, it looks like some cartoon under there. The Incredible Hulk uh, at Christmas time. You know, it's strange, again, words. You know, who cares about words? But Christmas, Christ, I mean, I, I really don't see him anywhere in, in here. But this is the thing. We've got smiling people. We've got happy people. Let's take a picture, Mom and Dad, with, with all the lights. But what's the point? I don't know. Smiling people today. What's the point? That's what I want to dig down on today. Because here's the truth. It's our first fill-in for today. That a clear point will make a clear celebration. When we've clearly established the point, 
like Christ's birth, Christmas becomes clear. When we clearly establish the point that we're celebrating today, our 40th anniversary celebration will be clear too. So what are we celebrating? Is it just the fact that we survived? Because a lot of popular things in 1975 didn't survive. You know what was the most popular video game? Pong, all right? Best car? One of them, this, this is true, I, at least that's what Google says. The Ford Pinto was one of the best cars in 1975. Didn't survive, did it? Um, the TV show MASH was most popular. That even didn't survive as popular as it was. So is it that 40 years later we're still here? Is that it? Well, maybe it's part of it, but it's not the main thing. We want to look for today the main thing, and to do that, we're going to dig into a part of Scripture that happened about 3,000 years ago. It was a time in Israel's history where the, the nation was in one of their seasons of being far from God. They were not in a good relationship with God. They had, they had forgotten about him. In fact, I want to show you how far they had, had gone. Um, this is 1 Samuel 7, verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at a place called Kiriath-Jerim. This ark is not like the Noah's ark. This is the ark of the covenant. And the ark of the covenant, in essence, was a, a gold ornate box that had some special items in it. But the thing I want you to remember about the Ark is its significance. The significance of the Ark of the Covenant is that wherever it was, God's special presence was. So the way that you treated the Ark, especially with honor, was symbolic and significant of the way that you should treat God. Well, when you look at a different part of Scripture, this same time frame, we find that in Kiriath-Jerim, the town... The ark was in the home of a nondescript, you know, not famous guy named Abinadab. And when you read about Abinadab and you read about the ark, what you come to find out is that the ark was just kind of stored there. Like if you've ever had friends that said, hey, we're going to be moving soon. Could you store some of our stuff in your garage? And then it's like just there for way too long and you just wish your friend or relative would get their stuff out of your garage, right? That's the way it sounds like the ark was being treated at Abinadab's home. It was just there. It was in mothballs. They had a sheet over it. The nation, this is greatly symbolic of it, the nation had forgotten about God. And they had gone and, and sort of began to worship themselves and other idols. And at the same time, there was uh, a rival nation, um, the Philistines. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine who was threatening not their spiritual welfare, but their physical welfare. And that's where our text picks up, that the Israelites finally, because the Philistines are threatening to conquer them, the Israelites cry out to God. It, it, it took a big, powerful nation to get them to wake up. Verse 8 of our text. They, the Israelites, said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us. Samuel was like a, a prophet, which is like a pastor. He said, Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 9. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering to the Lord. We talked about that earlier. 
the lamb being symbolic, again, of their repentance and their need for forgiveness through blood. He also cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered Samuel. Verse 10, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord got involved, and he thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Have you ever been in a storm at home or in the car that was so loud or just so eerie that you really couldn't think about anything else except that storm? <laughs> Probably none of us have lived through a hurricane or been in a hurricane. Maybe some of you have. But I would kind of liken what God did here. He sent a thunderstorm like, like a hurricane where you can't really concentrate on anything, and it throws you into confusion. This is what happened to the Philistines. Verse 11, the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. And so the Israelites cry out for help. God answers his unfaithful people. He allows them to defeat their earthly enemy, the Philistines. And the only way they were able to do it was because God was with them. A miracle happened. And so in response, the Israelites want to celebrate. We're celebrating today. They want to celebrate, right? And so verse 12, what they do is they, that Samuel, on behalf of the people, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. Now that sounds like an awesome thing, right? They took a stone and set it up. Um, let me give you a comparison nowadays. This is like setting up um, the Lincoln Memorial. This is like um, when you go to a national park and, and they have a plaque, let's say, and it says, on this, you know, Gettysburg, here, here's what happened on this ground. Many people died so that you might have freedom, you know, that type of thing, okay? This is what a stone being set up was like. It's like a plaque nowadays. It was a, as a place to remember a day that God answered his people's prayer, and that God's people were victorious. But, and don't miss this, this is the key. The victory over the Israelite, or the Philistines, I should say, was not the greatest victory of the day. And while we have, I have no idea from the words themselves whether this was part of their putting up a stone, let me just say this, I would hope I would hope that Samuel and the Israelites did not just put up the stone because God had helped them conquer the Philistines. But there was a greater victory that preceded the victory over the Philistines. Let's go back to verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath Jerem, Groundhog's Day. <laughs> we already read that, okay? And it continues, all the people of Israel mourned on that day. And they sought after the Lord, verse 3. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, that is, if this is more than just, you know, uh, lip service, if this is truly how you feel, then rid yourself God only. And he will be faithful. He will deliver you out of the hand of the stones, verse 4. So the Israelites put away their bales, their asterisks, those were idols, and they served the Lord only. There was a lot to be happy about that day. 
But the greatest victory did not happen on a battlefield. It happened right here in the hearts of the Israelites. That their hearts were changed to recognize their sin and that God in his faithfulness forgave them of their sin and the God that they had been apathetic towards actually came to them, did a miracle on their behalf and gave them the victory on the battlefield. But it all had to do with the victory that was in here first, the victory inside their heart. And on a day like this, there's a lot of outward victories that we could be thankful for, and we should be. We have more people than we used to. We can pay the bills. We have a beautiful building. We have an awesome band. We have sketchy technology. Um, (laughs) We have our land paid off. All these good things. But can I fine-tune the celebration a little bit? You know what we should be celebrating more than anything? It's our next fill-in. Celebrate heart change today. Celebrate heart change that we have through Jesus. This happens all the time here. I never realized that this would be one of the best parts of being a pastor. It was not on my radar. But one of the best parts of being a pastor is I get to know more of your stories than any of you know. I get to know the things you've struggled with, many of you. I get to know where you've come and where you've come from. Some of you, I actually got to be God's instrument to bring you to faith. I know your stories. I know your heart changed. Maybe you went from a little bit of doubt to a stronger faith or or whatever. This is the greatest thing about our ministry and the greatest thing you should be thankful for in your life. And there's stories abundantly. Can I I tell you one from our church? I I have her approval. Um, Many of you know Kelly Hoover. Um, mother of three here on the screen. Um, about five years ago or so, she first connected at Bethlehem, and when I, I talked to her this week, she described herself before Bethlehem as not being sure of who God was, as being very anxious, having a very bad opinion of herself, and feeling loaded down always by a big load of guilt. We met first at uh, our basketball camp. Uh, she loves basketball. We have a basketball camp. She brought her kids, and she had a good enough experience that they decided to come and, and uh, experience worship. And she said, and I don't know how many churches she went to. Maybe it wasn't that many before. But she said that she had never been to or felt as warm of an environment as what she experienced here. She said that for the first time, she went to a church and didn't feel judged. She said for the first time she went to a, a worship and she could understand the sermon, which I don't know if that's just because I'm so simple that everyone understands or would, I don't know, a compliment or not, I'm not sure, but that's the thing that happened for her, that she understood the love of Jesus for the first time, not because of me or us, totally because of the Holy Spirit, but her life changed. And I'd like to tell you that from then on it was perfect, clear sailing. But those of you who know Kelly know that she's gone through some really tough family struggles over the last three, four years. It's been tough, but what she said is that she would not have been able to get through any of it if it wasn't for her faith. She said that since joining Bethlehem or being at Bethlehem, her, her faith has grown, she said this, I'm not making this up, a hundred million times it's grown. 
And then at the end, she said this. Before I understood the love of Jesus, I was crushing myself with guilt. But now I'm able to give it to Jesus, and he carries it instead of me. That's the kind of stuff I want us to celebrate. Pastors come and go. Church buildings come and go. Volunteers change. Music changes. But the things that happen in the heart, <laughs> those last for eternity. And I know that your story may be very different than Kelly's. Mine is. But I also know that we have, all have something in common. At one point, you and me were a mess. And some days we still feel that way. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in him, you're not a mess in God's eyes. That he is there to carry your guilt. So if you're still carrying it, be like Kelly and quit carrying it. That if you're still loaded down by the, the struggles of this life, understand you have a father heavenly, a savior, who knows what's best for you. And rejoice that that heavenly father sent a son, his son, Jesus, to do the greatest change that you could have ever experienced in your heart, to take you from death and eternal death to faith and eternal life. <laughs> so the Israelites put up this rock, Let's go to verse 12 again. Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, two you know, towns. He named it Ebenezer, not Scrooge, but just Ebenezer, which means, it has a Hebrew root, means help, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. And in that statement, we see the people of Israel doing what every Christian church should do and every Christian should do. Look in two directions. Look back and look forward. Look back and look forward. And when Samuel and the people looked backwards, you know what they saw? They saw a God that had helped them. A God who was faithful even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. And so today, I want you and I, as we fine-tune our celebration, our next fill-in-the-blank, I want us to celebrate a past filled with God's faithfulness to you individually. How did you get through that thing? I don't know what your thing is, but that thing. Because God was faithful. Did you know there was a time in our church's history where we were $200,000 behind on our mortgage payments? And to give you some perspective, our general fund for an entire year at that time was about $80,000, okay? God faithfully got us through that. He's faithful. I remember um, about 2003 or so, I was sitting in um, Grant Jacobson's driveway with him in the car. We had just come back from a meeting, and we were like stressing out because we had just basically proposed as a group that we should um, build a $1.2 million building. And we're like, are we crazy? What are we doing? <laughs> and yet now you look back at it, and it's like, wow, we need more space and we should have built bigger, right? 
You know why? Because God is faithful. I want you today, not just for your congregation or the congregation here that you're visiting or being or at today, but also in your personal life to look back and to realize God's faithfulness in your life. A day of remembrance where you think of his faithfulness in the past, but then also that other direction, our last fill-in. I want us to celebrate. Oh, before that, go back again. I'm sorry. It's found here. Notice what Samuel says. He says, thus far. What does thus far elicit? We're not done yet. The Lord's helped us so far, but we're not done. We're not done either. Our next fill-in. So celebrate a future filled with opportunities. Now, I realize that Jesus might come back tonight, and we don't really have to worry about anything at that point. We shouldn't worry anyway. But as far as what we can tell, if Christ does not return first, there are so many opportunities that we have here in this area to share the gospel. And so I have two promises for you for as long as I'm your pastor, which I hope is a long time. One is this, that I will always be all about the gospel and the message of Jesus. And that when you come to church every weekend, you are going to first and foremost hear what your Savior Jesus has done for you. And if I'm leading your growth group, we are going to, in every group, talk about what Jesus has done for you. And if sometime I have to visit you at the hospital, I'm going to tell you what Jesus has done for you. And if someday I have the privilege of being able to share a message with you in a nursing home someday, or maybe I'm there and you come to see me, I don't know, I will be sharing the message of Jesus with you. If your kids come for Axis or Nexus, they will be receiving the message of Jesus and of grace. That is my promise to you as we look forward, that we will always be all about Jesus. I have a second promise for you. This one hurts a little more, maybe. I will never allow you, as far as I can, am I able, to let us become complacent about the mission to reach those who don't know Jesus. And so sometimes that will make you uncomfortable because things change. Some of you I've already made uncomfortable. The reason is that God has given us so many opportunities, an amazing opportunity to share what we have, and that truly is the reason we're here. I, I think of um, Jesus telling the parable about the lost sheep and how the shepherd left the 99, not because he didn't love the 99, but because they were already safe, and he went, and they went all great guns after the one because the lost sheep was lost and it needed to be found. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are found. You know what you need to be all about? Finding those that aren't. And the natural leaning of our hearts in every area of life is to look right here first. God has called me to as best as I can to not let that happen. And if that is uncomfortable, that's the mission. I look forward to being able to do that with you. And here's the thing. As I look to the future, I don't know if there's any truer words that have ever been written than the words that I read to you in 1975. Here they are. Our 
congregational forefather, so to speak, wrote this. The field's ripe. Let's not lose the harvest while we sit idle. Let's not miss the opportunity that the Lord is giving to us in Lakeville, Minnesota. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there is a lot to celebrate today. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for all the outward blessings that you've given to us. But may we clarify our celebration and start with what you've done for each one of us in our hearts. We thank you for the heart change that you've worked through your Son and through the Holy Spirit. And we'd ask that you would help us to share that great, great life heart-changing message with those in this congregation and with those out. We pray this in your Son's name and also pray together.